This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Well, hello, hello, hello. And uh, this is not Richard Serrett, as you just heard. It is Victor Vigiani sitting in for Richard Serrett, who is, as we say, on assignment. And we'll find out probably in the next couple of weeks exactly what Richard is up to. Um, just giving some thought that almost every single day the world is... I guess in a in a kind of funny kind of way, uh, being confronted with mundane forces and psychic forces um, that are intimidating us, all of it intimating to those who are attentive that things just are not operating as we believe they should be, or more so, how we've taught, how we have been taught that they do operate. From politics to medicine, religion to philosophy, more and more information is coming at us and coming to light that the world and what lies beyond is not what we have been taught to expect. Some choose to ignore the adventure of exploring these matters, while others invite a different journey. You may have chosen to listen tonight for a lot of different reasons, but you are going to be hearing an escapade that examines the precarious, the risky, Maybe, just maybe, everything we know is wrong. A chancy journey, maybe, yeah. And we welcome you along for the ride. My name is Victor Vigiani, and this is The Conspiracy Show. Along with a lot of the things that Richard does, uh, he's been coming involved with some very different uh, projects lately. And one of them that I'd like to talk to you about this evening is um, Sunday, November the 16th, 2014, this year, Richard is hosting a special all-day conference in Oshawa, Ontario. Um, It's called Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. It will feature six incredible guests, including Roswell investigator Donald Schmidt, witness to the 
uh, Roswell uh, uh, Forest UFO incident, Jim Penniston, uh, physics professor Ronald Mallett to discuss time travel, and crop circle researcher Patty Greer. And also Jim Elvridge, author of Universe Solved, discusses the possibility that we're involved in a digitally manufactured programmed reality, uh, otherwise known perhaps as the Matrix. That's Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theatre, 50 King Street East in Oshawa, Ontario. And if you're interested uh, to look at some tickets, the box office number is 905-721-3399, extension 2. Or for more details, you can just email Follow the Truth Summit. That's Follow the Truth Summit at gmail.com. And as always, there is a website and it's called followthetruth.tv. And that might be an interesting little project for you to consider this coming fall. This evening, the afterlife, uh, something that is probably on our minds every once in a while when our hit hits the pillow at night or when the first thing happens in the morning, we think about. Um, what the day lies ahead and how things will work out. And eventually, um, when times of pensiveness come along, we always, I think, at least I do sometimes, uh, think about my ultimate destiny. And this evening, we are going to be chatting with um, an expert in the afterlife, Dr. Stafford Betty. And it will be something I know it will challenge your perceptions about uh, a lot of us in, have been brought up in, in different kinds of religious rites that have been, I guess, uh, telling us what the afterlife is all about and what it might be. Um, Dr. Betty has a few different perceptions about what this afterlife is. And just by way of introduction, he has published eight books and many articles and essays on a wide variety of subjects. The afterlife is very much on his mind these days, and he speaks at national conferences on life after death, and he's also blogs for the Huffington, the Huffington Post. He believes the purpose of life is to grow one's soul with the evolutionary goal of coming home to God, whatever God may prove to be, in a relationship that is challenging, joyous, never-ending, and never stagnant. His views on this subject have been formed not only by his religious scriptures or theology, but by the paranormal research that he's been involved in. His books, The Afterlife Unveiled and Heaven and Earth Unveiled, are products of this research, and his novel, The Imprisoned, as his fictional novel, the Imprisoned Splendor brings it to life in a very vivid fictional setting. Dr. Betty, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks very much, Victor. It's great to be here. I feel honored. Well, it's terrific. I, I'm honored to speak with you, too. Um, if uh, In reviewing some of the work that you've done uh, and, and looking at some of the references and, the, and the, the, all of the research you've done, you must be just, when did you start all of this, this work? How far back does it go? My, you must have done it from the cradle, for crying out loud. <laughs> in a sense, I did. Uh, I've been interested in the afterlife for an awfully long time. I remember as far back as when I was 10 years old, I began to wonder, you know, it is obvious that life is very short on this planet, and then there's an enormous amount of time that follows. I grasped that concept when I was 10, and um, I've always had uh, a curiosity about what would follow because it seems so much longer and ultimately more important than the journey that we we're taking right here on the planet. So. Yeah, and uh, when I got to graduate school, I put that uh, curiosity aside, and then when I got my teaching job here and got tenure, I began to bring it back up. It began to surface of its, of its own self. 
um, and I've uh, been going from that point on. I've been doing active research for the last 30 years uh, on on afterlife. Mm-hmm. And and you're quite right to say that uh, this research is not based on scripture. It's not based on religion. It's based on psychical research. Um, mm-hmm. You might call it. Uh, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that for the moment. Okay. Yeah, I, it's it's really something because um, in in we take so much of this for granted all of the time because most of us are growing up, have been and taught in in a culture, uh, you know, be it Christianity or any other uh, of the the numerous religions that that and cultures that are that are abundant on the planet, and they all have a very very prescribed notion of what life and death is is all about. And it's interesting that you you mention the fact you know that being a teacher yourself and you know doing all of that kind of work um, in my previous uh, profession, I, I was a teacher too. I, I taught elementary school for, for a while and uh, was an educator after that for about 35 years. So I think one teacher talking to another is very significant in this conversation. Uh, I, what I want to find out, just very quickly, and just if you could, um, I'm going to throw something kind of broad. What is death? Uh, death is the shedding of the physical body. Um, that's all it is. It's not mm-hmm. miraculous. The fact that we live on uh, after what we call death uh, is is a very, in a sense, just a natural thing. It's it's uh, God is not involved. No miracle is necessary. We just shed the outer body and the inner body that we have within us right now. You might say it's just under under the surface of the outer body becomes the outer body. We can call that the astral body or the ethereal body or the subtle body. That's a word that Hindus use. And that becomes our body once we, quote, die. Of course, we don't really die because consciousness doesn't stop. So I guess, in essence, the, the idea of, of, of death, uh, things ending is, as far as the, um, the, the, the spirit or soul is really a, a, a misnomer. It, it just doesn't go away. It just doesn't fizzle out like a light goes out. It's just it, yeah. something continues. Yeah. According to my research, and I've been, I've been researching this for a long time, the notion that we cease to exist uh, at death... Uh, that, you know, once our brain stops, that's the end of us because the brain is the originator of all consciousness. That is, quote, the big lie. That's a huge mistake. Um, and uh, you might call it a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> that has become yeah. so prevalent. Mm-hmm. It's become the worldview of, quote, smart people, people who are, you know, with PhDs, scientists and the like. These people, in my view, are really pseudoscientists because they don't look at the literature that I am trying to share with the world and others like me. I'm not unique by any means. They just don't look at it. Professional philosophers, Mm -hmm. uh, many scientists just refuse to look at it. They look down their nose before even examining it because they've heard from their peers that it's not worth looking at. Oh, what a mistake. And so they go into death. uh, uh, You might call it... uh, Pessimistically, uh, I certainly don't like the idea of uh, extinction, uh, and uh, I don't see any reason that they would either. But that's exactly what they do expect, and uh, I believe that's no way to live. That's an ugly conspiracy that we are being forced to think that that's the cool way to think yeah. or the smart way to be. Of course. The the idea of, of them not looking at it uh, is at their peril, I guess, because as soon as they start looking at things like that, all kinds of things come into play, like their pension and tenure. So they they just don't touch it. Uh, that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. they lose their respectability if they start if it if it becomes known that they are seriously considering 
uh, a spiritual uh, point of view, mm-hmm. um, that, that can cost them a great deal. It could cost them their career. I would have lost mine a long time ago had I not already been tenured and, uh, and been promoted to full professor. I could afford to take risks, but I would not have taken the risk uh, as a junior professor. I would have kept my interest to myself. Uh, and uh, fortunately, the, the, uh, the curiosity that has been kindled in me didn't really become strongly aroused until I was about 40 and had already uh, gotten the tenure necessary to survive. Yeah, that's Let an interesting... Let me tell you that yeah, I am not a popular professor here among my peers. Mm-hmm. Among my students, yes, but not among my peers. They rather avoid me. They think I'm very peculiar. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, yeah. you mentioned that you've, you first got involved in it when you were 40. I, I have to imagine that at some point in your life, um, be it latent or, or whatever, at whatever point in your life, uh, that you may have discovered that some of the feelings or things you've been taught about life and death and that whole that whole realm somehow didn't resonate with you. It's like a, like a you know a small stone in your shoe. Uh, right. Was there something before the age of forty that kind of kindled this feeling, or or was oh, it absolutely. Just a, yeah? Long before that, Victor. As a matter of fact, uh, the whole notion that. That, that there was this God who sat on a throne and had a scepter um, sitting in heaven and judging people and condemning people who didn't believe in Jesus or didn't believe in, in Allah or whatever it is you're supposed to believe in that will cost you eternal life. That just struck me as absurd. I mean, it really, by the time I was 25, I had rejected that belief wholesale. Uh, unfortunately, I had to reject all Christianity as well for a while, and I, I lived the life of an agnostic, even an atheist, and I found that to be extremely unpleasant. And it really set me off on this adventure to find out if there was some way out of that very pessimistic uh, worldview. And boy, did I find it. It's all over the place if you know where to look. Yeah. Well, and that's why I've written my books. It's to share this worldview with as many people as I can reach. Yeah, we're that's only to... one of the problems with it. I mean, when you get yeah. into atonement theology and and uh, the notion of there being just one life and uh, other other uh, uh, aspects of my early upbringing, I began to question and and uh, I found that there was very good reason to question them as I began to look at the evidence that was piling up. Precisely. We have to take a bit of a break here, uh, Doctor, just uh, a few minutes, and we'll be back sure. on the other side of the break. Uh, my name is Victor Vigiani, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, we do invite your call, so feel free to call in. Um, by the way, I, I need to also remind you that one of the other things that Richard is involved in is Season 3 of The Conspiracy Show on television. It's a program that debuts across Canada and on Vision TV on August the 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And there are 13 brand new episodes, including the fake Arab Spring, Stanley Mayer's Water Engine, the Shroud of Turin, and Is the Cure for Cancer Being Suppressed? A lot of really um, vibrant things happening with Richard on television. We're really glad to, to see that happening with him. Also, too, if you want to become a member of the RichardSarrett.com club, it's, uh, it's quick and easy and free. Just click on the blue membership area button on the right side of uh, his website. Uh, fill in the required fields and wait for your confirmation email. If you don't receive it, check back in your spam folder. It just might be hiding there. Uh, once you're a member, you can gain access to member-only areas of the website, like the past show archives, and you'll also receive the drop pardon me, the Dead Drop, not the Drop Dead, the Dead Drop newsletter, the official newsletter of The Conspiracy Show. Tonight we're talking with a very um, 
I think, a prolific writer, first of all, and in my understanding, a great teacher, Dr. Stafford Betty, who's involved in um, the afterlife. And just before we um, get on with things, we talked about what death is in the corporeal sense, and it's not like turning a switch on and off, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. Let's get a little bit more into that. Um, What I'd like to find out, if we could, if we could just sort of talk about for a second, this whole idea of growth. You talked about it, um, and I, I've heard you reference it, before, reference it before in terms of how the soul or the body or we as characters grow uh, into the positions that we normally would achieve after, after death. Um, what, what's this growth thing all about? We, we evolve into something different? Yeah, this this is this is a, a wonderful question, and it, it was the one that I was very <laughs> was urgently hoping you'd get to. Um, according to spirit literature, <clears throat> um, dozens and dozens of accounts coming down to us over the last 160 years um, from the world of spirit uh, through legitimate, uh, authentic, and, and even classical mediums, um, book length um, accounts of what life over there is like. These are my sources. Um, According to them, the universe, the whole universe, wherever there are planets like Earth, uh, is a a moral gymnasium with challenges at every level, uh, from what we find on Earth-like planets to uh, what we have to endure in the Shadowlands if we have botched uh, the adventure, or what we find in the highest heavens, which is hopefully where we're going to evolve into. The progress that that spirits are allowed to make, we're not forced to. Our will is always free. We can resist uh, progress. But the progress that spirits are allowed to make is striking, it's radical, it's far-reaching, and it can stretch over eons. Heaven uh, is a vital, busy, challenging environment with extraordinary delights for those who are deserving who are ready. It's not a lotus-eating paradise. It's not a place where you go to, quote, rest, as the book of Revelation puts it at one place. Um, One of the spirits puts it this way, we're pilgrims on an infinite march. I love that. So that is what we're looking forward to. And this is what we should be doing with our life right here and now, because right here is part of the march. We should be living life well. And uh, uh, my books will encourage you to do just that. There's a lot lying on, on, on the choices that we make here. Let's examine just for a second some of this. You mentioned uh, spirit sources. Let, let's look at that for a second. Uh, sure. in, in terms of your own research, the, the work that you've done, there's other ways that you've, uh, you've, you've become to know uh, the, the, all of the things that you know. And, and to, to me, what, what you're doing is you're introducing a new language uh, for us all to examine. You know, a concept is a concept only because it has language surrounding it. If, if, the, if yep. the concept doesn't have language, then we really can't think about it in, 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 um, you know, in linguistic terms. So you're providing a, a brand new language for us to, to examine the possibilities that are very, very different than what we've been brought, brought up to believe. The idea of, of, of your sources, where do you draw this information from? Well, um, the, there have been many, many books, literally hundreds, probably thousands of books that have been published over the last 160 years. This process began around 1850 uh, in Europe, incidentally, or rather in the United States, and then quickly into Europe, and particularly Britain. Um, so it, uh, the, the information comes from um, 
the spirits themselves who are telling us about their life on the other side through these classical mediums. And the names of these mediums, you know, I can throw them out at you, and you may have heard of a few of them, but I doubt that uh, most of your um, listeners have heard of any of them. Perhaps Jane Roberts would be the lone exception. She was the medium who who channeled Seth. Um, also channeled much more fascinatingly uh, a, a person claimed to be claimed to, claiming to be the, the philosopher and um, and psychologist William James. But there are many others as well. Frederick Myers, for example, one of the founders of the Society for Psychical Research in 1882, he was brought through by Geraldine Cummins, the famous Irish. Um, medium starting the 1920s. And uh, the book that she published, uh, that uh, the two of them published together, it's called the, the Road to Immortality. It's considered to be the classic of this kind of genre. So, you know, it, it, all of this information comes from the world of spirit, and that's what makes it so fascinating to me and makes it more, <clears throat> you might say, more plausible because Spirits are closer to the source than we are. Uh, truth for us is harder to get at um, because our physical brains sort of blinker out a great deal of the of the of the insight and of the revelation that uh, that spirits find themselves more easily accessing. So if we want if we want to, you might say, give our religions a facelift, and all of our religions need a facelift, in my opinion, we should look to these sources because they have a great deal to tell us that begins to make a heck of a lot more sense. Yeah, that's, well, amazing. I, I, it, it really does, uh, it, it sort of hits your broadside when you think about it in terms of you know, the daily life that, that, that we live and what we've been taught before. I keep on going back to that, that aspect of it mm -hmm. because it is a really, true, uh, it's a paradigm shift for everybody. Um, uh, uh, my understanding of the world after death is it's the place that you land up in, you know, wherever that might be. It's sort of a function it's, and it's sort of dependent on the quality of one's own character. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. While, while you're in this life. Um, talk to us about that for a second. Yeah, uh, um, the what we call the law of karma. Uh, hey, those Hindus and Buddhists got that part right anyway. Uh, that uh, you find that attested to in every source I've ever read. Um, the kind of experiences that await us in the world beyond death are totally dependent on the kind of character that we build uh, on planets like ours here. Um, not necessarily only in this life, but in previous lives. Um, all of, in other words, the kind of being that we are, the essential self that we've molded ourselves into by choices, by habits that grow out of many, many choices. That's the kind of being. That's the kind of, in other words, our, our karma will be based on the kind of character that we are. It's not based on the individual deeds that we do in some corny tit-for-tat fashion. It's based on the kind of character that we are. Now, all of us have made mistakes, and we're going to be confronted with those mistakes when we uh, find ourselves deceased. We will be confronted by our lives. We'll have to go back over those, uh, those mistakes, and, and we'll learn from them, and they will be painful. Um, we will find ourselves um, rather brutally judging ourselves. We don't need God to judge us. We will be judging ourselves when the blinkers fall off and we see what really motivated us to do the things that we did that we're not proud of. But, um, uh, yeah, the law of karma is very much in play, and the kind of experience and the kind of world that we will find ourselves in 
will be uh, adjusted accordingly uh, to the kind of being that we are. We will gravitate towards people like ourselves initially. And it doesn't mean we have to stay in the particular sector of the afterlife that we find ourselves gravitating to, uh, but we will start out that way. So does, so does this change the nature of God as, as we, we know it? I, I'm just wondering. You, you mentioned that we judge ourselves, uh, and it, yeah. so it sort of dispossesses the idea that you know, once you pass along, there, there's not going to be this man, as you said earlier, sitting on a throne you know, with, a, with, a, with a hammer in his hand saying, you know, you're right. here and you're there. Uh, it's, you, right. you, you, we, we are forced to look at God in a different way. We are. God is not... Um, uh, a judge who sits on that throne, as, as you put it. This is a childish way of looking at God. Um, we, you might say this, that, that each of us has a, a tiny God component at the, at the heart's deepest point. And so we see things with tremendous clarity once we shed the body. And that can be rather frightening if we've made a series of bad choices. We will begin to confront ourselves as we are. And what is doing confronting is that little that little God seed within us, what we call conscience here, um, it will be more available. It will be more awakened once we are, quote, dead. Uh, And so in that sense, God still is in play, um, but not as an outside force, um, but as an inner force, um, that little seed, that little God seed within us, doing the judging, uh, doing the planning, doing, hopefully, the evolving if we choose to evolve, and that's completely up to us. So that, it does make God look different, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it certainly does. it makes God look a great deal more attractive and more plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're, we're, in essence, what I'm hearing from you is that we're more or less in control of our own fate. We really are, and, and God is the source, in other words. And uh, it's, it's, you know, he gives us this incredible gift of life and, and then the freedom to do with it what we want to, what we choose to do. That's a great gift, but he does not meddle much, if at all, in our lives. Um, prayers are effective, but in a way that uh, we don't typically think of them. Uh, I can get to that if there's time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, God needs to be reconceived and along much healthier, more plausible lines of thought. Well, I guess in a lot of ways because of the uh, of what we've been taught. I mean, people have been conditioned for for centuries uh, around this whole idea of, of of religious notions of what heaven and hell and um, and just uh, you know I, I was brought up a Catholic and uh, I Me have too. yeah there you go. So and I've shed a lot of those notions myself. Uh, I'm not sure, exactly sure how that happened. Perhaps it's some sort of divine inter- intervention. I'm not quite sure. I look at myself as a very spiritual person, but institutional religion is is is, is dead as far as I'm concerned, but that's another story altogether. Um, okay. Yeah, um, what I'd like to do is um, maybe look at this idea of after we, we get to the place that we're at, there's all kinds of different levels that we, that we yeah. experience, and you talk about jobs, jobs that we have to do once we cross that line into the other realm that, um, that, that promote a different kind of um, a presence after we're there. Uh, what, yeah. what, what, what do you mean by that? Um. First of all, there are many occupations um, that are available to us. Um, uh, the heaven world, the good world, sometimes called summerland. Um, uh, if, if we're decent people, we're going to find ourselves in a, a realm that, or a world that is attractive, that is, um, uh, that is, that is lovely. 
And um, there will be many, many opportunities for uh, the practice of loving service. And for those of us who want to evolve, we're going to have to get serious about loving service, more serious over there than we were here. We'll also find that it's more congenial to engage in loving service. It's a little bit easier to do that. But much will be required of us, much will be demanded of us if we want to evolve. We're not just allowed to sit back and, quote, be happy. uh, and some of the some of the, the the service, some of the loving service that we will be asked to do. For example, um, there are many varied expressions of it. Um, there are <clears throat> there's the possibility that uh, we will be uh, helping out those um, those materialists, or shall we call them physicalists, those people who deny anything like life after death, who find themselves very much alive, even though they've died but with a tendency to deny that they really have died. They, this is remarkable. This, is, this, this mistake is referred to in source after source after source. So uh, then people, hopefully like us, will be able to help these people recognize and accept the fact that they were profoundly wrong on Earth and that they have died and that they are still alive. And uh, that's just one of the things that I find rather fascinating. That's one possible occupation. There's a great deal of, uh, shall we say, counseling that goes on I over see. there. Yeah. There are, there are, there's a lot of missionary work that's done. That's a word that I use. It's kind of a Christian twang to it. Mm-hmm. But there's a great deal of opportunity for service to those souls who are in dark places. Stuff, stuff yet to be land. done, right? Right. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there, and uh, I hope that I'll find that attractive and challenging, um, because I, that's that's a challenge that I that I think I would welcome. That's just there are many forms. There are thousands of ways to uh, to to grow one's soul on the other side, but it will require uh, engaging uh, occupational work. We're talking with Dr. Stafford Betty about the afterlife. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. My name is Victor Vigiani. Once again, thanks for joining us, and my name is Victor Vigiani, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, um, and we're talking this evening uh, with uh, Dr. Stafford Betty about the afterlife. And before we continue, I just want to um, give you some information about a really exciting uh, conference or retreat that's coming up later on uh, in, in, in August, and be be it, uh, I think, 28th to the 31st of August, it's going to be held over over several days, and it's called uh, the Extraterrestrial Intelligence and Consciousness Cosmic Connection Retreat. It'll be held just north of Toronto, and it's uh, scheduled to be a really interesting uh, several couple of days. So uh, it'll it'll involve uh, Daniel P. Sheehan, if you're familiar with Daniel's work, uh, Grant Cameron, Canadian researcher, and uh, Disclosure Advocate Stephen G. Bassett, and I will be showing up there too. So if you want more information about the extraterrestrial intelligence and the consciousness cosmic connection, go to uh, ufocontact.com slash forward slash retreat, or you can contact the uh, organizers at info, I-N-F-O, at ufocontact.com. Uh, back to the questions, um, I guess, of, of I guess a, a broader concern. It, it's something that I think has um, uh, been explored by other people, but not necessarily, uh, you know, so much so in terms of religion. But some communication spirits uh, have spoken about an eternal life, Doctor, and others speak of rebirth. 
uh, coming back to learn more. Uh, the obvious example being in the books of Anthony Borgia. Uh, uh, why is that? What's, what, what's the whole difference between the eternal life and others coming back with some sort of rebirth or reincarnation or whatever they might call it? How does that fit into to the frame and paradigms you've been examining? Yeah. Um, uh, keep in mind that <clears throat> that um, the the world ahead of us um, is is it provides opportunities for every wholesome interest or avocation, from science to music to theology, astral architecture, home building. Um, it's a joyful, endlessly fascinating place, full of challenges for those who desire to grow. However, um, for those who are not up to the kind of hyper-spiritual life that the more mature would find bracing and delightful and um, uh, and attractive enough not to feel the need to return to Earth to experience more basic satisfactions and experiences. Um, th- that's a possibility. One does not have to reincarnate. Um, I would hope not to have to reincarnate myself, but it's very likely that I will not have worked out all of the problems in my nature that one has to after moving uh, before moving on. Probably I'll have to, but one doesn't have to, and the ideal is to not have to and to keep moving forward. So that sort of puts uh, reincarnation into its proper context. It's a great way to, you, you might say, grow at uh, an accelerated rate. Uh, there, the challenges here at this level, mm-hmm. at the level of a planet, uh, a planet like our like our own, uh, is great. I mean, there's we have to worry about death. We have to worry about uh, you know just surviving. Uh, and uh, this this calls forth uh, either great virtue for those of us who choose well, or great vice for those of us who choose selfishly. So it's a place, it's a moral gymnasium, as I said before, um, and it's uh, ideally uh, set up uh, for uh, advanced uh, training uh, to, into the world of spirit, where mm-hmm. eventually and hopefully we will stay. I love that term, moral gymnasium. It's a, an incredible concept. It's all that part of that new language that we have to confront in order to understand this yeah. concept. Uh, let me spend a second asking you. Um, you you mentioned that so there's hyper spirituality and and those of us who grasp the concept that can, we can get it we just we we know that something has to be done. What about uh, individuals, be they mentally challenged or physically challenged or intellectually challenged in, in one way or another? In, in my profession, uh, as you know, meeting children at that level, even adults too, um, they they really don't have a, a, an idea of, of their own self awareness. They might, but we just don't know that they do. Right. How, how, did he, how would you imagine these individuals would fit into the yeah. whole uh, idea of, that, you're, that you're talking about? Right. Let's first of all talk about um, kids, mm-hmm. children, toddlers even, um, individuals who died at an early age. Uh, what happens to them? Uh, they, are, they are taken over after becoming orphaned, orphaned in reverse. You know, their parents haven't died. They've died, and their parents are back on Earth. Well, what happens to these kids? They are loved and nurtured by souls who uh, delight in mothering or occasionally even fathering uh, orphaned children on the other side. That's one of the professions, one of the jobs that uh, is often chosen by uh, spirits who have enjoyed children back on earth. So they continue to, uh, to give their gifts to the children 
of spirit on the other side, and the spirits grow into adults under the careful, nurturing presences of these um, of these motherly beings. Doctor, can I hold you there for a second? I want to continue this right after the break because I sure. find it fascinating. Uh, once again, my name is Victor Vigiani, and this is the Conspiracy Show. And stay th- exactly where you are. Just before the break, we were talking about uh, how. Um, children are dealt with, uh, specifically those children who uh, pass away um, before their parents do and have been denied the care that their natural parents would normally give them. And, Doctor, you were talking about others that might take over this role. Yeah, that's right. Um, And you mentioned also um, uh, adults, for example, Mm -hmm. who have been harmed or mentally retarded people, people who are born with very low IQs and so forth. I think that was part of your question as well, Victor. Did I get that right? That's correct, Doctor. Right. Um, uh, you know, it would, be, it would be folly to try to guess exactly why those things happened to that particular individual, and I don't want to get into that. Of course. But um, there certainly would be the opportunity to grow in one way or another, in those incapacitated states, the soul is not dormant. Um, the soul is undergoing uh, whatever experience it is really like to be in that kind of condition. I don't know what that condition feels like, but the soul is there undergoing it and will grow from it, probably without doing too much choosing because there isn't much ability to choose in these very unadvanced states. So we'll just leave that question unanswered. And it is mysterious, but uh, in the last analysis, the overall picture of the afterlife uh, is that that we're all left, uh, in other words, we're left with a picture of the growing immensity and grandeur of the human soul. Um, uh, When it responds continually to the call from its infinitely mighty and gracious maker. Um, That's what we're all called to do when we have the capacity to make those kinds of choices. And, of course, some individuals don't have that capacity. But you and I do, Victor, Mm -hmm. and most of the listeners also have that capacity. And it's the way we choose now in this particular life that's going to have everything to do with our progress in the world ahead. Yeah, it's a fascinating notion, and it's, it, it takes a bit of courage to admit <laughs> a, a question like that is, is kind of unanswerable in a lot of ways yeah. because you're, it, you don't want to get too far into the area of speculation on, on a matter so yeah, important that's like exactly that. exactly right. Of I course. Um, I, I, the other thing that I want to address with you is the, the whole idea, is, and I keep on going back to the notion of, of how we've been taught about these things as Christians yeah. and uh, others who believe in, uh, who are you know, of other faiths. Uh, sure. the, the ideas of, of heaven and hell and you know, the idea of purgatory and this thing, of, this thing called limbo, which I never really understood. It, yeah. are, are these all strictly contrived and interpretive notions of, of the Bible or, or, or inspiration? And I guess my, my question to you is, how could biblical scholars be so darn wrong about all this stuff? Um, it's, it's not biblical scholars who are wrong. Uh, it's the, the relatively primitive people who, who uh, um, put together these systems um, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and we're stuck with them. And um, that's a shame. That's one of the problems with having a scripture. Uh, we don't grow beyond the scripture. And what I learned to do very early in life was to not get hemmed in by the scriptural passages that don't make any sense. Um, there are wonderful passages in the Bible. Uh, for example, Matthew 5-7, to 7, 
Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the wisdom that we find in the very spirits that I've been studying that I want to share with my readers. Mm-hmm. So there's a great deal about Christianity in particular that, uh, that, uh, that is good. And I, I, I don't discourage people from going to church at all. I, I, I think it's probably something on the whole that is good for them to do. But there's also, I hate to say this, but there's quite a bit of nonsense uh, in, uh, in, in the doctrine that I was raised with. At least that's the way I have come to believe it. Uh, without going into particulars, there are things that I just leave behind. Um, but there are also many wonderful passages in the Bible that we uh, would be wise to study and live by. But I don't know, it's just human nature to get stuck in tradition and be afraid to move on. Uh, and that's the way most of us are. I'm just not that way. And Victor, you broke through somehow yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not sure how that happened, you said. That's right. But um, uh, And the same way, I just have had the courage to break out of those manacles that, uh, that uh, keep us believing that there are certain formulas that we have to buy into, that we have to accept in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. That's just not what not comes through any of the accounts that I've studied. Yeah. None of these formulas are going to save you. Of course. There are no rigid creeds um, on the other side that you have to adopt in order to be saved. And whether you're a Baptist or a Catholic or a Mormon or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or an Anglican is simply of no importance over there. Yeah. The, Many of Earth's favorite religious dogmas are off the mark anyway, and the sooner they are recognized as such, the better. The better. You've raised an issue. Um, I, I want to, you know, get to two points before we, before we break off here. The, the first sure. one is, um, is is about Christ and and what or who he was. And se- second uh-huh. of all, before I get to that one, and just very briefly, could you just sort of address the issue of, um, you know, you write many religions are represented in the spirit worlds, and I suspect that our audience would really like to know more about um, how this whole idea of sectarian strife that we're going through right now, how does that play out um, in, in, in whatever that next place is? Do, do people oh, have wow, different... that's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. First of all, the, uh, the, the heaven worlds that the decent among us are destined for uh, soon after our death uh, is divided into many, many sectors. We're not going to find ourselves, if we have been happy Catholics and die as Catholic, we're not going to find ourselves in a world that is populated by, by Muslims. Muslims will find themselves in their own world, in their own sector of heaven, and we'll find ourselves in the sector of heaven that we, uh, where people who think like us will welcome us and love us. Now, there will come a point when we start outgrowing the boundaries of these various sectors, and we grow into a kind of a meta-religion or a kind of a universal faith as we, uh, uh, you might say, discard the, the limiting religions that we carry over with us into the other world. Um, so the, the best, the wisest among us will discard those cramping uh, uh, conditions and, and move into something far better that, uh, that represents the, the wisdom and the experience of, uh, of higher spirits. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there are sectors, and of there course. are many sectors, and yeah. there are probably thousands of them. Uh, so <laughs> that's an interesting concept that I did not come across in my religious training as a boy. For sure. I guess the, the other idea, too, is I've always been um, enthralled by the persona of the, this man named, uh, named Jesus and you know, where he came from, yeah. what he meant. Uh, how does he factor into all of this or, or yeah. that entity? Jesus, this is, this is wonderful. Jesus is, um, is loved by those Christians who loved him here. They will want to see him. And... Um, 
from the accounts I've read, they will be uh, enabled to see at least someone, something that they take to be Jesus, and they will delight in seeing Jesus. But they will not be his disciples anymore in the sense that they were here. They grow into something different from that. Jesus himself is regarded as a, a kind of master spirit, as one of the uh, great teachers of the afterlife, someone who lives on a much higher plane than we're going to find ourselves on shortly after we die. We have access to him, as I said, if we want access to him, but he is not regarded as God. There's nothing like the Trinity that one finds in any of these accounts. Um, there's nothing like the uh, the notion of an atonement theology, that mm-hmm. Jesus had to die on the cross for us, uh, for our sins to be forgiven by, uh, you might say, a, a jealous Father God who requires it of, of, of us. There's nothing like that. These old dogmas simply aren't found in spirit literature. So Jesus is not God, but he is greatly loved and admired and turned to by those who desire to turn to him over there. He's available in some sense. Mm-hmm. But... Um, as a master spirit, as a kind of a messiah, as one of the great teachers of the other world. But he's not alone. He's not the only great teacher over there. Not at all. Part of a chorus, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, to the the idea of good and evil, I mean, it's so prevalent in our day-to-day society, in our, in the corporeal sense that we exist, and uh, yep. you know, that the strife and the angst that exists between those two polemic um, concepts, uh, where does good and evil fit in? I mean, is there a good, ultimate good? Is there an ultimate evil? Do they continue to, to work against each other, or do they dissolve into some other concept that just makes evil um, non-existent anymore? Right. There's no Satan over there. Uh, some of the accounts explicitly say that. But there are many very selfish, cruel souls over there, the very ones we have encountered in our own world. They don't change just because they die. They don't become good just because they uh, shed the body. I see. They gravitate to places where souls like them uh, are, you might say, uh, uh, are to be found. And uh, yeah. sometimes these worlds are called the... Uh, Oh, I don't know. It has a different, very many different names. There almost never is the word hell used to denote the, the place where they gravitate towards. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, now the, these, there is no ultimate evil that's going to triumph. That is not uh, a concept that one runs into at all in this literature. If anything, the spirits who are in these shadow realms, that's what they're sometimes called, need our help. They need spirits to come down them and help them to move out of the dark world into the light. So there is no permanent condemnation. These souls will move out of their realms as soon as they're ready to. I see. And uh, many will not be ready to for a long time. It's, it's like your idea of the moral gymnasium. Uh, You know, we're all playing on the, on the gym floor and these other poor souls are sitting on the sideline. That's exactly right. They just don't want to move. They're just, uh, that's a a wonderful analogy, Victor. Thank you. Yeah. Um, You mentioned, uh, you've mentioned it three times now already. You've mentioned this planet that we are on. Um, I am someone who has become very, uh, very intensely involved in the in the idea of extraterrestrial consciousness okay. and 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 life beyond our planet, sentient life beyond the planet, and I believe that we are being engaged by these off-world civilizations. Um, okay. When you mentioned uh, on this planet, uh, 
and even the Catholic Church has come out to say that there there may in fact be other kinds of intelligent life out there, and we should welcome them. How, how do you how do you see the universal or cosmic aspects of this in terms of extraterrestrial intelligence joining into this whole symphony uh, of this other place after we after we all pass? Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, yeah, um, let me let me just turn to if I can find this. Uh, I want to share it with you because there are a couple of uh, we just have a few minutes left yeah yeah a couple of explicit mentions of these worlds um, yeah I can't find it but uh, yes um, the, the 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 experience we're having on this particular planet is regarded as quite similar to the experiences of others on other planets in other solar systems galaxies whatever um, so it's not as if you know, planet Earth is the only moral gymnasium. There are many. As a matter of fact, all, everywhere there, everywhere where there is conscious life mm-hmm. and the ability to choose, there you find other moral gymnasiums throughout the entire universe. The whole point of living in these worlds is to grow our souls and to become more divine as we go deeper into what we essentially are and realize our destiny. I see. It's, it's, it just sort of adds a new dimension to the kinds of things that I've been ve- investigating because it's, uh, it seems to me that, uh, that the whole cosmic reality of, of what we're involved in, and if we do believe in, in some sort of creator or the one, it just seems like uh, it should all fold in together at some point with all of I us agree. being engaged in. In yeah, any case, I yes, I, I do want to thank you so very much uh, this evening, um, Dr. Virginius. You've, you've uh, enlightened me for sure. And I hope that you've given some uh, food for thought and planted some seeds for our listeners this evening. So uh, is there any website that you want to mention or anything else that you want to talk about before we just sort of leave? Well, I just, um, I probably ought to spell my last name. It's B-E-T-T-Y. It's just like a woman's first name. Mm -hmm. Often I'm mistaken as a Betty Stafford as a woman. (laughs) But my name is Stafford Betty. And and, uh, both these books, the most recent one, The Heaven and Hell Unveiled, and the other one, The Afterlife Unveil, are available probably most easily at Amazon.com. Just, you know, type in my name, Stafford Betty, and they'll turn up. And you'll learn all about them. They have been uh, reviewed many times, and, and you can decide whether or not it's worth purchasing them. They're both, both of them inexpensive. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And uh, maybe we look forward to another, uh, another session with you so we can dig down and drill deeper into this whole idea of where we go after these little vessels have spent their time. Thank you very much for joining us, Doctor. Thank you, Victor. You've been a a very fine host. Good night. Well, wasn't that something? Um, I'm not sure where you go from there. Uh, I know you've uh, got a lot to think about. Continue to do that. Thank you for listening. My name is Victor Vigiani. You've been listening to The Conspiracy Show. Well, good evening once again. This is not Richard Serrett, as uh, the intro did talk about. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard, who is, as they say, on assignment. Quite often, the uh, the world that we're presented with, and it's, uh, I guess, mundane daily affairs, and even psychic forces appear to be forcing us, like, uh, be attentive to something that we may not really recognize, and that is probably that we're not operating in a system that we fully realize and consciously understand. 
As a matter of fact, um, just about everything, at least I'm beginning to understand, uh, is just, it's not the way it really is. And this whole idea of a matrix that we might be living someplace beyond, uh, or at least there is something else beyond where we are, comes into play a lot. Be, be it politics or medicine, religion or philosophy, more information is coming to light that the world that we see and what lies beyond is really nothing like it really should be or expect. Um, I guess some of those people who are listening this evening, uh, I guess you're reluctant to take, to take those matters on, to really kind of challenge yourself, to, um, to kind of push forward. And that, that's quite all right. You know, we can all reside in the places that we're comfortable. But others invite a different journey. And for those of you who are listening tonight that want to take a different journey, we will be investigating the perilous, the precarious, the risky, and just maybe realizing that everything that we know is is wrong or at least badly incorrect it's a chancy journey and we welcome you along for that ride join us will you my name is victor vigiani and you are listening to the conspiracy show This evening, uh, our, our guest is Dr. Allison Adams. Dr. Allison is a qualified dentist in London. She qualified as a dentist in London in 1983, and after working for a number of years, later obtained a master's degree in restorative dentistry from the University of Michigan in 1992. She worked as a dentist for 20 years in total and latterly running her own private dental practice in central London. Personally, she had poor health all of her life, and she was medicated from early childhood and has 21 surgeries uh, to date, uh, as scars, on, I guess, on her gun handle. Uh, a health crisis a decade ago brought about a mercury spill in her office, forced her to quit dentistry and to seek answers to her own mounting health problems. Informal study into, national medicine, into natural medicine turned into formal courses of study at um, different ideas of kinesiology and allergy therapy. She's now largely recovered from what she has known as a, an occupational poisoning of mercury and uh, has written about chronic fatigue syndrome. We want to welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Dr. Allison Adams. Welcome to the program. Oh, hello, Victor. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, great of you to join us. So it, it sounds like you've, you've been through a lot, my friend. My goodness. I have. I think it's undeniable <laughs> at this point in my life that my health has been the overarching factor in, in my life, sadly. How, how do you rebound for something like that? I mean, I, 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 get, I get the flu and I feel like just sort of totally giving up. And it, it, you've been through so much and you've managed to, uh, uh, to recover, I guess, in mind and body and spirit and, and, and do some things that are pretty provocative. Well, um, I mean, I think what you mentioned that I'd written a book about chronic fatigue. Um, I don't believe in the flu, <laughs> as, as we would understand it. I think a flu and a cold is a detox. Um, and actually, chronic fatigue is just massive toxicity, and you feel like you've got the flu all the time, because um, a lot of people just 
don't get chronic fatigue. They think it's, you know, psychosomatic and all this sort of thing. So, so when I'm sick, I'm getting better? Yes, indeed. And in fact, that's the body's process for cleansing your body. So you should, um, that's the one thing I would want listeners to take away from this is don't suppress symptoms. Your body is far, far smarter, um, you know, than, than we can possibly imagine. Um, you were saying in the in the intro uh, that uh, we've all been misled about lots of things, and and this has been my journey of trying to you know uncover things and realizing that a lot of what we receive wisdom is actually backwards. Um, and uh, yes, but once you actually, of course, I was taught the allopathic system going mm-hmm. through medical school and all the rest of it. But the naturopathic system, once you, you know that, that makes it just makes complete sense and you know that that is the truth. And the allopathic system is basically a lie. Let's spend a minute on that in terms of what we've been told. Um, a lot of the, the, the kinds of things that we talk about on this program, uh, we use the word conspiracy, and it, it's a strong word. It's a very, very strong word. However, it applies to so much of what we've been naturally led uh, led to believe as as children and young adults and we become sort of totally ingrained to these ideas and we have a real great difficulty in changing our our mindset uh, to to accept another paradigm of uh, of reality uh, why do you think uh, the medical profession and i guess perhaps other other professions other related professions have been so stridently um avoiding the ideas of of um, of what you've just been mentioning in terms of, of, uh, of alternate forms of medicine or alternate forms of healing or alternate forms of health that bring you to um, the, the same place uh, or the place that you deserve to be in in terms of your own health. Yes, I, I mean, I, I did actually approach the show because I have listened for a long time to The Conspiracy Show, um, but in my research I've actually come to really understand over... Oh, 12 years or something of digging into this matter that this is a conspiracy. You can't come away with anything but that conclusion, really, when you look into the history of things. And, you know, quite how these things work, I don't know. But, you know, again and again, there have mm-hmm. been committees and, you know, they've decided in favor of the status quo or, you know, books or research that have been written or done or whatever have been hushed up or never taught about. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the stuff I know now, I had no exposure to during my training. Seven years, at, you know, supposedly two of the best dental schools in the world. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it starts young. And, and you know, the, the Jesuit saying that, you know, give me a, a child until he's seven and I'll, I'll show you the man. I mean, most people don't fundamentally change their concepts about anything, it is said. You know, past the age of seven, it's very confronting, and it was very confronting for me. And the only reason I was willing to do it was because I absolutely knew I'd exhausted what allopathic medicine had to offer me, and that I was going to die <laughs> if I didn't find a solution. So, you know, that made me open. But, you know, I will willingly admit I bristled at a lot of the ideas that I now am espousing, you know, 10, 15 years ago of course. Um, because of my training, because of what we've been taught. And, you know, I, I think if you talk to most doctors or dentists, they will tell you that at their school they were taught, this is all you need to know, don't look outside of this paradigm, mm-hmm. you know, everything else is quackery, they love that word, um, you know, and they don't know, they, don't, they simply don't know some of this information, mm-hmm. and they don't know that what they perceive as incurable 
diseases can be cured because they're not seeing it within their, you know, in their frame of yeah. reference. It's, it's almost like, if there's anything, the training that I received, uh, I, I was a teacher by profession and as a, you know, after that an elementary school principal. I went through uh, two years of, of, of training as an educator, as a teacher, and after that, um, once I got into the educational community, I realized that I was carrying around like a, a huge stone tablet on my back with it. Well, everything sort of uh, written in stone. And it was about two years into that profession that I realized that I, realized that I had to unshackle myself from that tablet that was hanging around my neck for at least four years into my profession. And once I, I relieved myself of that tablet, of all that stuff that was written in stone, I felt the sense of freedom to explore things and, and go at it from a totally different perspective. Was that sort of your, your idea as to how you sort of moved into this alternative way of looking at medicine? Um, yes, I, on that subject, uh, do you know John Taylor Gatto? Have you heard of him? I have heard it. Yes, I have. Yes, I mean, as a matter of fact. He's, a, he's an interesting mm. man, but mm. he too was in education and completely rethought uh, you know, right. everything he, he'd been he mm. taught, and he's quite a, an entertaining person to listen to. Um, well, I just think everything we're exposed to you know, is fairly carefully controlled, and, and the I'm actually just doing an article, which I'll publish in the next couple of days, but about the harassing of natural medi medical and dental practitioners because, you know, they get given a really hard time and many of them flee, the, the certainly uh, North America. Um, you know, they have armed raids on their offices all the time and, you know, they're dragged through disciplinary proceedings and that sort of thing. So the, the, the message is that, you know, you don't need to raid a natural practitioner's place with armed guards, you know, a SWAT team of seven, 25 people. It's My ridiculous. <laughs> it's done to scare the living yeah. daylights out of people and to of discourage course. everybody else from stepping, you know, stepping outside of a, beyond the line mm -hmm. that's, that's been laid down. And, of course, all of this is strictly enforced by all the, um, you know, the general dental council in the uk or the american dental association or whatever um you know so there is a standard of care and you have to stick to that as i imagine the same with teaching you know this of course is yeah. it's done um and that that also doesn't allow for any innovation the innovation is then supposed to come out of the dental schools but you know the people least likely to innovate are the people who have sucked it all up, <laughs> you know, regurgitated it and, and proceeded and, and been promoted by the system, right. you know, they're never going to see outside of, uh, of the box. They're really not. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, for, while we're listening, I just want to point out to the audience that uh, your, your, um, your website, uh, I'll mention it here for you, www.mouthbodydoctor.com. So if you're um, uh, near a computer and you want to follow along with us, uh, some of the ideas that... Uh, that the doctor is talking about you. We more than uh, invite you to to um, to tag along with us. Um, before we you know launch into some of the more specifics of of the kinds of things that uh, that we posted on on Richard's website in terms of of uh, you know mercury etc. I just I just want to uh, you know mention to you something that, that I think uh, is relevant to all of this. Uh, those of us who have been involved um, with uh, the, the dental profession in the past. It has been something of a, a scary notion. And uh, when I was very, very young, my dad brought me to a dentist. Uh, uh, his name was Dr. White. He's, he's long gone. But it, I, I began to fear that, that whole concept of going to some place where someone put metal things in your mouth and then did things to you. Um, we're going to break here for a second, but I want you to think about that during the break, um, doctor, because there, there are people out there who are in abject fear 
of, of, of dentistry, of, of dentists. And I want to address that issue before we move along because it is something of almost a, a, a passionate feeling among a lot of the people that are listening right now. So um, after the break, we'll get more into that. Uh, we're listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Victor Vigiani. Stay with us. There are a number of things that I'd like to um, bring our listeners up to date with. One particular really exciting thing that's happening with Richard over the next little while, actually this fall. On Sunday, November the 16th, Richard is hosting a special all-day conference in Oshawa, Ontario. Uh, it's called Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. It will feature six incredible speakers, including Roswell investigator Don Schmidt, a witness to the Rendlesham Forest uh, UFO incident, uh, former Sergeant Jim Penniston, uh, physics professor Ronald Mallett, uh, to discuss time travel, and also crop circle research expert Patty Greer, as well as Jim Eldridge, author of Universe Solve, discussing the possibility we're all living in a digital program reality called the Matrix. That's Sunday, uh, September, pardon me, that's Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theatre, 50 King Street East in Oshawa, Ontario. And if you want to get a hold of tickets, the box office number is 905 721 3399, extension 2. Or you can um, just go to the website, follow the truth. TV, and uh, he'll be hooked into one of Richard's um, new enterprises. And there are going to be other places that he's going to be visiting over the, uh, I guess, in, even in the North American continent as an extension of the uh, Follow the Truth, and we're looking forward to that. This evening, we're talking uh, to a, a very interesting individual who has, uh, I guess, had some in, uh, very different kinds of insights into the dentistry profession. And, Dr., um, we were talking about the, um, Dr. Allison, we were talking about the idea just before the break, uh, and I raised the issue of the, 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 the fear aspect of, of, that a lot of people uh, psychologically go through um, in terms of getting to the dentist, to, to the detriment of their own health. Um, it, it, what's this all about? Does it have to do with pain? Does it have to do with some psychological notion? What's that all about? Because I went through a lot of that myself personally. Mm, I think it's totally legitimate. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I wasn't wrong. <laughs> no, I mean... I think there's, there's nothing normal about being taken to an office and having somebody in a white coat, you know, stick needles in you, uh, drill your teeth, etc., etc. None of this has happened. You know, if, if people are in their native environment eating their native foods, gazelles don't need dentists, you know, chimps don't need dentists unless they're, you know, caged and being given the wrong food. And it's the same with humans. We, we shouldn't need any of this. And there was work done by a, a dentist researcher nearly um, 100 years ago called Weston Price, and he went round <clears throat> all the far-flung places of the world where they'd never seen a white man before, and he actually catalogued their health while they were eating their native diet, and then he was on site when the Western foods, all the processed foods and the sugar and you know all the rest of it started arriving, right. and their health just fell apart in a matter of just a few years. Um, and the health of their children as well, if, if the mothers were pregnant while they were eating that food. And it was only then that they started getting tooth decay and gum disease. So, you know, throughout our hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, we haven't needed dentists and we haven't had dental disease. It's a very modern thing. And you were talking before about, um, you know, manipulation and conspiracies and things, but I think our perception of what is normal is how, you know, that's the prevailing way the system works. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're eating your, your diet, you really shouldn't 
be getting disease, you shouldn't be needing checkups every six months and cleanings and all the rest of it. You mm. should maintain your mouth in health. It should grow to accommodate all of your teeth, not needing braces, not needing your wisdom teeth out. We're all malformed now. You know, we're, we're actually really quite sick. <laughs> you know, not a pretty scenario. No, it's normal. Mm-hmm. Say again. Not not a, not a pretty scenario. It's not, and you know, it's it's really quite distressing when you realise the, the the magnitude of it. Mm. Yeah, you you um, you talked about the, the work of of Dr. Price and discovering that. Uh, you know, literally generations, uh, virtually free, uh, virtually free of that that kind of uh, dental dental uh, pro- problem, even health problems too. But then, the, when Western, um, I guess, food, the food chain in the Western society changed to the way it is, we all become a, almost a different species in that respect. Now, that that moves us into this whole idea of of the of, of mercury in in, the, in in our mouths, and and even just you know, it's it's in other parts of the environment also too. But you you alluded to the idea in some of your work, this whole idea of mercury, not only is it deleterious as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an element, but in, in compounding um, the whole problem, the, the, the amalgam that's, that's also uh, placed in some people's mouths, these things have an electrical charge to them. And in some way, you, you, uh, you say this affects the entire body, not just the presence of the mercury, but the, the electrical charge or the negative charge that it has. Talk to us about that for me, because I'm fascinated by that, that uh, idea. Yes, I mean, uh, metals in the body are a really bad idea, in my, in my opinion. Uh, you know, metals in the mouth are, are a bad idea. Um, amalgam's bad on all sorts of fronts. Um, what, it, what it is, is it's a combination of about half liquid mercury and half powdered metals, copper, silver, tin. Um, and it's mixed together. It actually never sets properly to become a solid. It's not a proper amalgam that has to be, you know, heat treated mm-hmm. um so what you get is a very thick oatmeal porridge sort of thing with all these granules of the the, the powdered metals and then the surface reacts but you've basically got a kind of thick sludgy mercury base and um what happens when you put dissimilar metals together is that they react electrogalvanically and produce um, a current so first of all the filling just taken in isolation uh, produces uh, a current and that actually causes the mercury to vaporize because mercury is the only metal that is liquid at room temperature and, and can vaporize right. at room temperature as well and then that's inhaled um, you know into the lungs and then distributed around the body and it's also swallowed and then you also get corrosion products and they're swallowed um, but Yes, you've got energy meridians. This is the true nature of the body is energetic. Mm -hmm. You've got energy meridians running through the body and all of the energy meridians run through the teeth. And if you've got, A, just a lump of metal sitting on a meridian, it's probably at least partially or or maybe totally blocking the energy flows in in that meridian. But if you've got uh, an amalgam filling in the the wider context of a mouth, so you've got saliva, which is an electrolyte. Uh, you've got gold crowns in there. You've got cobalt chromium dentures. You've got, you know, all sorts of, we use 17 different metals in the mouth. You've then got really complex uh, electrogalvanic currents being discharged between, uh, you know, your gold crown and your amalgam filling and your post and all the rest of it. And so you're actually electrostimulating the meridians, but just kind of chaotically, like a mad electro acupuncturist, you know. 
Um, so that's uh, that's a couple of uh, the, the reasons that uh, metals are really bad and mm-hmm. mercury is, is particularly terrible. So for those people who have bridge work in that are foundationally, uh, I guess the the, uh, the new enamel or whatever, the, the new tooth structure is, is based on some sort of uh, metal bridge work. Uh, what is that metal made out of? Yes, a lot of people think that their crowns, particularly on back teeth, are um, all ceramic, but the chances are, unless they particularly requested that or the dentist has particularly made a point to them that that was all ceramic, the chances are that they're not. Their chances are that it's um, porcelain bonded onto um, a, a metal base um, for strength. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that's a bit of a movable feast, what they're made of, um, but they certainly often contain nickel, which is a... a carcinogen and 10% of women are um, allergic to nickel. They contain all all kinds of things, some precious metals, there'll be some platinum and some gold and silver, but they, you know, obviously that's expensive, so they try to reduce the the quantities of that, but it it has to work, you know, mechanically so that it retains the the porcelain, but there's all sorts of different formulas there, but... Mm -hmm. um, I must say, when I first kind of got into all of this, I had my amalgam fillings removed by a biological dentist, and I actually got through that without too much trouble. But when I actually then cottoned onto the whole metal thing and went back and had my metal crowns removed and had them replaced with ceramics, I had, you know, I felt terrible. And um, blood tests just last year show that I'm allergic to 13 different metals, all of them well, either in my own mouth or, you know, I was occupationally exposed to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's actually quite common. And it's particularly common in in women, probably because we wear jewellery and tapestries and things like that. So we get sensitised to metals more than men. Uh, now, you, you said you had some of these things removed, and I know uh, quite, quite a few people that I know have had them removed. Um, I, I know someone who was, was uh, talking to me, and I, I was indicating to them that I'd uh, be talking to you on the show this evening, and uh, um, her dentist indicated to me that um, if, if those things, are, if, the, if the mercury is removed in the way they, whatever way they remove it, it's, it somehow affects the structure of the tooth and makes the tooth less uh, viable. Um, not not only in that the, the vapors are are also exposed um, uh, you know, to the body. Um, should someone have them removed? You said you you had them removed. At, at what degree of risk is there if you do go and get your mercury fillings removed? Well, there is a risk, and you do need to be informed. And actually, that's the topic of of my book, the Natural Recovery Plan. It addresses the whole issue of toxic metals in dentistry and their safe removal and detoxing your body of the accumulated metals. Um, so if you want you know, chapter and verse on that, refer to that. Um, it's very important that the fillings be removed safely by a biological dentist. There is, even with the best will in the world and even with the dentist trying to protect you, when the dentist drills on the filling, there is a massive release of mercury vapour that is, uh, the patient is exposed to, and so it's the dentist and, and their staff. Now, so run, yeah, run, run by me again what you mean by a biological dentist. Just run that bias again. Right, this is a, a, a kind of term that's gaining currency. Um, there's a whole spectrum. Uh, some dentists get that mercury, you know, inserting mercury in your teeth isn't a good idea, and that they're, they're mercury-free or mercury-safe and or mercury-safe dentists and they do that. At the other end of the scale, you've got dentists who maybe have trained as naturopaths and, you know, uh, homeopaths and things like that as well, and they actually really look at the effect that 
dental work is having on the health of the body and they often end up treating quite seriously sick people you know the, they get people with cancer and multiple sclerosis and all that sort of thing wanting what is called total dental revision which is getting all of the dental tissues sorted out so getting all the metals out removing all the root canal filled teeth um, uh, things like that possibly even implants if there's an issue around that um, and dealing with what are called cavitations which are um, old extraction sites that never healed properly. So it is, it is really important that you'd go and see a biological dentist. There's an organization called the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, IAOMT, I think it's .org, um, and they have a listing of appropriately trained um, dentists mm-hmm. um, in Canada, I think, as well. Um, but don't stint on this because, uh, you know, I've seen so many people... I advise them, they say, oh, I can't afford it, they've gone somewhere else, and, mm. you know, they'll be sick for months, you know, maybe not even recover, and, uh, you know, maybe even worse than that. So it is really important that that is done safely, and that's not something that um, the organization, you know, the American Dental Association, and everything, they're not going to concede this, probably, unless they're absolutely forced, as with smoking, you know, it took them 40 years. Of course, yeah that it was an issue or asbestosis or whatever. Of course. So, um, you know, I'm absolutely convinced they know, but, um, you know, it's just such a hot potato. They can't, can't touch it, really. And they, they've taken such a strong, strong stand over the decades that they can't, you know, say anything without losing face. Mm-hmm. Um, How challenged are you by the, by the uh, dentistry profession, uh, and either, either collectively or individually, about your views on that, on this whole idea and your website? And uh, Do you receive uh, much critique about the work that you do and the, and the, and the way you're challenging uh, the presuppositions that you were taught initially? Well, uh, you know, the knee-jerk response is, oh, there's no evidence. And, you know, the people saying that may have been taught that, and they may actually believe that, but they're wrong. <laughs> you know, I've spent... 12, 14 years reading the research papers and I just, you can't read all of that research and of course my personal experiences of being mercury poisoned and recovering. You can't, you know, you, I can't, you can't go back uh, to, to believing anything else and, and once you can actually see it, once you, because we've been using this stuff for 200 years, it was introduced without testing and also um, there's quite a lot of mercury or certainly has been historically in vaccinations. Um, so, you know, the thing is, it's, uh, asbestosis is terrible, but it dies with the person. The thing about mercury poisoning is it gets passed on from generation to generation by the mother in the womb and in the breast milk, and, and it's believed that mm-hmm. between a third and two-thirds of the mother's um, toxin burden gets passed on to the offspring. So, you know, we are now looking at, you know, we're generations into this mercury poisoning of humanity, really, and, you know, once you actually know what you're looking at, um, it gets locked into the central nervous system. I would say that, you know, autism, Alzheimer's, multiple mm-hmm. sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's, all of those sort of disorders, Parkinson's, if not exclusively mercury, there's a very large element of mercury poisoning um, involved there. Um, and indeed, both my parents have gone, I think, with mercury poisoning. They've both ended up with Alzheimer's and dementia for a prolonged period, and my father went deaf and blind and what have you as well. So I'm keen to avoid the same fate. Of course, yeah, you've, you're very motivated in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your, um, your website, it's called, you know, Mouth Body Doctor. Uh, you, you mentioned it in one of the segments of your, of your um, 
of your website as, as the mouth being considered by most people in the medical practice. The mouth is a, is a separate entity from the rest of the body. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard a lot of other kind of talk that, uh, you know, from some naturopaths that they can, you know, look, look at your nails and dis discover what, what kind of uh, problems you may have uh, health-wise. People will look at your eyes or even your skin tone. Uh, how does the mouth in itself, it's a very complex uh, part of your body, how does that uh, tell a practitioner what your body type is? Right. Um, well, this whole system has worked by division and separation, I think, the, you know, the current paradigm. So dentists, you know, ex- deal exclusively with the mouth. They're not allowed to deal with anything below the mm-hmm. neck. You know, doctors don't get taught practically anything about the mouth. So if there's any oral problems, they kind of, you know, give antibiotics or something or refer them on. They refer them on, yeah. So, so there's no, you know, there's no cross-fertilization of ideas between those two disciplines um, for a start. And then, you know, of course, you get different specialities within medicine and dentistry, so it gets even crazier. So you've got endodontists, orthodontists, and all this sort of thing. So none of them are seeing um, the big picture. Yes, fingernails, you know, do reflect the health of your body because they, they are, um, you know, constantly being reformed and also because they are not a, a, an essential part of your body, um, I think the body allocates resources elsewhere. Um, so you can tell, yes, definitely from somebody's fingernails what kind of, you know, if you've got good strong fingernails, chances are you're in good, you know, in pretty good mm-hmm. robust health. The mouth... Um, The mouth is important. Uh, People who know about these things and who are able to detect the the Mm -hmm. connections say that 90% of disease actually either originates in or is made worse by the status of the mouth. Yeah, Dr. Rare, I have to hold you there just for a second. I have to take a very brief break. Um, Fascinating conversation uh, about uh, the health of your mouth. (laughs) Um, In any case, you're listening to uh, to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Victor Vigiani. Stay right where you are. And we are back to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. I want to just bring you up to date on a few things that Richard Serrett, our regular host, is up to. Um, One of the really interesting things that Richard has been doing uh, is television. He's getting into that medium more and more. And uh, what what he's done lately is um, his his new show, The Conspiracy Show, on television will be debuting across Canada on Vision TV on August the 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. There'll be 13 brand new episodes. I think that's exactly what Richard's doing over this uh, the next couple of days is doing some of this work. And these episodes will include the fake Arab Spring, Stanley Mayer's water engine, the Shroud of Turin. And is the cure for cancer being suppressed? So uh, keep an eye out for that kind of thing happening on, on Vision TV beginning August the 11th uh, at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Also, if you want to become a member of Richard.com, it's quick and easy and it's free. Just click on the blue membership area log on his website, uh, richardserrett.com, and fill in the, uh, the required fields and wait for your confirmation by email. If by chance you don't receive it, check your spam folder by um, I just clicking on your spam folder and perhaps it's hiding there under a different name. And once you're a member, you can gain access to member-only areas of the website like past show archives, etc. And you'll receive the Dead Drop newsletter. I was going to say Drop Dead, but it's not that. It's the Dead Drop newsletter, the official newsletter of The Conspiracy Show. Now, um, b- before we also go on, I- I'd like to mention one of the things happening here um, just north of Toronto uh, coming up at the end of August, August 28th to 31st. It's called the Extraterrestrial Intelligence and Consciousness Cosmic 
Connection. It's a retreat just north of Toronto. And if you want to find out more about this retreat, you can go to uh, ufocontact.com forward slash retreat. And you'll be uh, looking at all kinds of information about how to sign up for that retreat. The guest speakers will be Daniel P. Sheehan, Canadian Grant Cameron, uh, Stephen G. Bassett, and just maybe myself, uh, I might show up there too to contribute to that evening. That's the extraterrestrial intelligence and the consciousness connection uh, later on in August. Uh, this evening, we are speaking with uh, uh, the mouth and body doctor. I guess we're going to have to call it that for now because it's a great way of describing uh, what, our, what our, our guest is all about, Dr. Allison Adams, a qualified uh, dentist who has been sort of, um, I guess, turned around in her profession by a number of, of personal experiences and investigation. Uh, before the break, doctor, you were talking about uh, how the mouth uh, has been considered a separate part of the, of the body by practitioners. And I, I guess the way that's happened, it's because I guess everything in our life and particularly medicines become so compartmentalized versus holistic. Um, how far along the whole continuum are we as a, as a generation in understanding that, that medicine is much more holistic instead of the compartmentalized um, discipline that, that uh, we've been brought up to believe? Well, this has to come, uh, but it's still a challenge because you've been in, inducted into the other system. And, you know, still sometimes I find myself, you know, going back into the old way of thinking and then think, oh, no, you know. But, uh, yeah, the, the thing is that we have to join the dots. Um, you were just talking in the break there about cancer, and uh, 97 to 98% of, of people in studies uh, who've got cancer have had root canal fillings. Um, and a study by Thomas Rao at the Paracelsus Clinic in Switzerland found that um, you know, the majority of those for women who had breast cancer, for instance, were on the, the meridian associated with the breast. So a lot of the diseases we're thinking of as incurable at the moment, we're thinking of as incurable because we haven't removed the cause or one of the you know, perpetuating mm-hmm. factors. Um, the fact is the teeth are, or organs, and we were talking about fingernails, and the teeth are, are like fingernails. They're actually like bone in that they're constantly remodeled and rebuilt, and, and uh, you know, it's a dynamic thing, and, and dentists don't think like that. You know, we're always carving up teeth. We don't think of them as being uh, living things, um, but they are. And, and in fact, they have a, a system of, of fluid flows that come out of the tooth, which are actually supposed to provide a protective shield for the tooth. Um, that are controlled by your diet and what have you. And, and when we eat this kind of devitalized diet in the West, that the fluid flows reverse, and that's when all the problems start with gum disease and, and tooth decay. So it, it's a kind of a two-way thing. Gum disease, if gum disease gets a, you know, a toehold, then the bacteria there can spread throughout the rest of the body. They can go to the heart and, you know, the joints and that sort of thing. Um, it can affect the meridians. If there is actually... For instance, an organic problem with, um, say, the gallbladder or something, mm-hmm. that may manifest, manifest as decay or a gum disease around, in that particular case, the canine or the cuspid tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you've got to look at the whole picture, um, and this is what biological dentists do. At I their see. Best. Okay. Mm. So how long would you figure it'll take uh, sort of traditional dentistry, you know, <laughs> dentistry 101 to move on from, um, from their traditional, uh, I guess, straitjacket into, the, into this? Uh, you said it's going to take time. What, what's, yeah. pro- what's propelling uh, people in the dentistry uh, profession to, to move along the continuum to, to look at the more holistic idea? 
that there's nothing. <laughs> really? My goodness. Really? Well, that's, that, we're in bad shape. <laughs> we're well, in yeah, bad shape, I mean, Alison. You know, some of this, I mean, the, when Amalgam was introduced, they, there was a huge big row about it. And uh, there was, the, the, you know, anyway, there, were, there was what was called the first Amalgam War in, in the States. And this is, you know, we're talking about 160, 70 years ago. And, you know, the debate still rumbles on. There's, there's been a couple of real attempts to... to you know, expose the, the problem, but mm. it just always seems to go to ground. It meets a load of denials, the official denials, yeah. goes to ground again. And then, you know, issues like cavitations, which are these improperly healed um, uh, extraction sites, they were first described by the father of modern dentistry again, you know, mm. easily over 100 years ago, and still there's no acknowledgement of that. The research work into the problems that root canal fillings pose that was all done 80 years ago, mm-hmm. 90 years ago, by Weston Price and his research team. And again, that's all kind of, you know, been covered up. And, you know, so I think when it comes, it's going to come suddenly, a bit like the fall of the Berlin Wall of or course, something like yeah. that. You know, nobody, it, it's <laughs> got to happen. Yeah. Um, Good to have to take another break here, Anya. And uh, great talking to you. And we'll continue our conversation on The Conspiracy Show right after the break. My name is Victor Vigiani. Stay with us. And welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Allison Adams about your mouth and what's in it and what it might lead to if you don't take care of it properly. And it sounds like from uh, how we're going, it's, uh, I would say, 98% of the population that's listening to this program right now, if not resident in North America, are suffering from some kind of effects on this, or potentially they might be. Um, a while back, I had a, a guest on, uh, Dr. Uh, Magda Havas, talking about electromagnetic poisoning uh, coming from uh, you know the internet uh, routers and, and different types of, uh, of, uh, of computers and so on. So we're surrounded by that, and the smart meters that are on the, the sides of our houses here in North America. And also, too, you, you know, things like aluminum and deodorant. Um, I, I, I have a really uh, big, pro- growing problem with all of that in that um, I, I'm sort of of the opinion that as human beings, we are engaged in a whole series of extinction behaviors that eventually are going to rub us out from the face of the planet. And that's not a pretty scenario. But we seem to be ignoring some of the, the, the more specific things that we need to do so to, uh, to release ourselves from this kind of stuff. Is this a political thing? I mean, looking at it in, a very, in, in, the, in the wider context, Allison, um, is there some sort of, as, as you know, we mentioned, is some sort of conspiracy that we are just built in to ignore this stuff, and we're just sort of destined to become extinct, or is there a way out of this? Uh, it's a, it's a tough question, but I'd like you to take a stab at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, one of the things that bothered Western Price was that 22 civilizations had risen and fallen in the last 6,000 years, and he felt that you know, unless we sorted, <laughs> looked at why and right. what had happened, we we were destined to repeat the, the pattern and. You know, I very much, I'm on board with you there. You know, I think we are heading towards, uh, over the precipice unless Mm -hmm. we do something. And, of course, all all the time being met with denials. And it's all about money at the end of the day. You know, that the reason that you don't know about the dangers of Wi-Fi is because it's a huge, it's now the leading um, earner in in the world, isn't it? You You know, the other thing is that these subjects tie in with one another i've actually got another website the natural recovery plan.com and i've got quite a lot of information there about the dental stuff as well but also um wi-fi and all, all the kind of bigger dangers as well um of course the metals in your mouth act as antennae for um electromagnetic yeah. radiation she, she, yeah she was saying that yeah yeah and also as i say the mercury actually gets distributed around your body and every molecule 
of mercury will act as an antenna as well within your body. So you are an antenna anyway because you're just, you know, a hairy bag of salty soup, mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking personally. Um, so, you know, but the, the metal certainly, and, and things like if you have an MRI scan or whatever, if you're actually subjected to intense electromagnetic radiation, um, you know, we know that your fillings emit more mercury, a third more in that case. Um, and yes, if you use your mobile phone, that you know promotes more mercury vapor release and all the rest of it. So, yes, I mean I, I live in the countryside, but I venture into London occasionally, and I'm I'm just appalled and horrified by the fact that people just obviously have no idea. You know, they're on their phones 50% of the time. It seems they've got them in their hands or in their pockets all the time, mm-hmm. and you know, no, yes, no awareness of safety or that there might be a, a hazard. Um, because they've not been told about it, you know, and it's been denied. But um, I don't have Wi-Fi, or I do have a Wi-Fi router, but I turn it off. I don't have a, I have a mobile phone, but I only use it if I'm meeting somebody, you know, that's something mm-hmm. I'm very aware of. I just had, um, I actually posted a video about it, but I had my house surveyed for EMF, and, um, you know, it took the uh, measures they suggested to rectify. Um, so there are things you can do, but, yes, yeah, so I don't know what the smart meter program is like in Canada, but... You know, they're, they're, I think they're, they're going to start rolling it out here next year. Yeah, there was one uh, one German individual who um, I corresponded with, uh, and he's involved in a in a I guess a, uh, a his own program in in Germany of of um, suggesting to hydro companies that uh, electric companies that they get rid of their smart meters, and he has one approach that has proved to be very successful. He he takes a sledgehammer to. Um, his uh, his smart meter and says, "My goodness, somebody destroyed it. Better come yeah. and replace it with something." And I, it's a, a rather um, you know revolutionary way of dealing with a problem, but it, it does get fixed uh, in that way. Well, now, apparently, if you do that three times, they won't bother replacing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you, you try all kinds of things. Um, this for. Just a second here. I, there's a lot of, uh, of our listeners out there, be, be they mothers or fathers, new mothers or, or fathers, uh, new parents. Uh, they've got children either, you know, very, very young or on the way. Uh, what advice would you have for them in their first little foray uh, once the, the child um, begins to enter the, uh, the realm of visiting a dentist? Where, where would they go? What should they do? Uh, what should they look for? Right. Well, I think a lot of this is about taking things into your own hands. Don't expect a dentist to fix the problems. You, you've got to do it. And that starts with the mother's breastfeeding. That is so important because the actual action of suckling as opposed to sucking on a bottle, which the suckling actually spreads the, the jaws and um, promotes proper development of the temporomandibular joint, whereas sucking on a bottle actually they suck the cheeks in and and that collapses the arch and this is why we've got this huge problem with kids you know the vast majority of kids needing braces when they're they're older so you're saying that hang on a second now you're saying that the act i never realized this that the act of of of, of sucking on 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 a a nipple from a bottle is different from a mother's breast is that you're saying yes suckling Mm -hmm. on a on a nipple the, the child works the tongue against the palate, mm-hmm. and that spreads the jaws. It's all a beautifully designed, you know, cohesive system, and we, we interfere with it at our peril. If you give a child a, a teat on a bottle, they suck the cheeks in, and that collapses I the dental arch. And so this is why, as I say, you need orthodontics. This is why our jaws aren't developing, and we're, you know, many people need their wisdom teeth out, etc., when they're older. 
facial development, most of it happens in the first year of life. That, that's when, because the baby is born with you know, quite a big brain uh, relatively, but their face is quite underdeveloped and a lot of that growth happens in the first year of life and 90% and of it's done by the time they're six actually. So all that early care is really important. Um, I would say what you wean the child onto is terribly important. What you feed the child is terribly important. What you want to do not that you shouldn't take your child to the dentist, but when you take your child to the dentist, they shouldn't need anything doing, but that's down to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been misinformed about what a, quote, healthy diet is. I would say you want to have a um, nutrient-dense diet. So don't give your child processed foods. Don't give them sugar. Don't give them, you know, refined stuff. You need, mm-hmm. don't give them cereal and toast for breakfast. Give them scrambled eggs or bacon and eggs. Uh, they need the actual, the, they need the vitamins in the, the, the animal fats. And um, this was one of the main findings of Western Price's work. Um, you know, so what we think of as a normal diet, again, this word normal, mm-hmm. you know, which the doctors always say, oh, just eat normally. Well, you know, that's what made you sick in the first place, you know. So when you really get that, you, you may be motivated to, to make the changes. But um, eat the advice is an ancestral diet, stuff your you know, great-great-grandparents would recognize and, and eat. Mm-hmm. So eat from nature's table. That's the thing, because those are vital foods. Try and eat in season. Um, and as I say, don't be scared of animal fats, quite the reverse. Um, mm-hmm. I- include butter, yellow butters in your diet. Include raw milk if you can get hold of it. Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. I've, um, I've run into um, a couple of situations of, of um, female friends of mine uh, and acquaintances that have uh, had different types of thyroid, thyroid difficulties in terms of you know, weight gaining, uh, memory mm-hmm. loss, sleep issues, uh, gl- different glandular problems. How relative or related to, to that might, might the, um, the, the dental issues that we're talking about, or, or is there a relationship at all? I, I think there's a very strong relationship. Um, the mercury accumulates in the endocrine glands, um, firstly, I think, because they're just very dynamic um, mm-hmm. organs. Secondly, because they have lots of receptors for essential minerals, such as selenium and zinc and that sort of thing, which um, can attract um, mercury, which then binds. Also, just because of their um, geographical, if you like, position, so that all the... Uh, uh, circulation and the lymphatics from the mouth are actually intercommunicating with that in, in the thyroid. Um, mercury is a heavy metal and it's called that for a reason because it's 13 and a half times heavier than water so it sinks in body compartments so it sinks into the lower jaw for instance. Um, so yes I think very much that um, amalgam fillings are a big part of um, the disabling thyroid function and also I would say going back to our earlier topic but Wi-Fi and things like that because once the metals are in the in the organ then you know it's being um, you get all kinds of free radical damage and things in the, mm-hmm. when it's exposed to, to uh, electromagnetic fields um, so I think that's a big part and I also think diet is a big part as well I think it may be a bit more dynamic than we think but you know I think you do have to eat fats and animal products and organs this organ meats this is what western price found um and for thyroid it's no soy no beans um no nuts no seeds really and no cruciferous vegetables so that's uh, cabbage and cauliflower and mm-hmm. sprouts and things like that 
Um, they're all what are called goitrogens, which are known to destroy um, thyroid function. And the other uh, cause, as well, I should just add, is that mercury attaches to what's called the histocompatibility complex on the, on the um, cell wall. Um, and what that does is it's a bit like a barcode, and it changes the barcode, and then the body um, recognizes, doesn't recognize the thyroid as self, it recognizes it as non-self, and that's when you get autoimmune problems, so things like Hashimoto thyroiditis, where the body attacks um, the thyroid, believing it to be foreign tissue. So I think it's all very tied in, and, and I have a thyroid um, problem myself. You know. What were the vegetables you said that should be avoided? For people with thyroid issues, mm -hmm. um, soy products. Um, I don't like soy products anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody should be eating them, but particularly if you've got um, a thyroid problem. The cruciferous vegetable family, so and that's cabbages, cauliflowers, um, Brussels sprouts, that sort of thing. Um, that, that does a more extensive list. You'll have to look of that course, one up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nuts and seeds and beans and pulses, so um, you know, kidney beans and chickpeas and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, and just generally, you need to nourish your thyroid as well. A lot of us are mineral deficient, so a lot of people uh, aren't getting uh, sufficient iodine, for instance. Um, and that, that ties in, iodine is actually a halogen that's essential to um, thyroid function. Right. But using fluoride and chlor, you know, fluoride toothpaste, putting fluoride in the water, putting chlorine in the water, those are more reactive halogens and they displace iodine. Yeah. Um, so you need to, you know, filter your water and use fluoride free toothpaste and all that sort of thing as well. So it's, you know, you need to attack it from several, um, you know, aspects really. Sounds like a full-time job. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, it's your health on the line and not having to take yeah. drugs for the rest of your life. And yeah. I mean, there's no comparison between, you know, taking exogenous uh, hormones and right. having your own system work properly. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Doctor, uh, for, for joining us this evening. Once again, your, your website, www.mouthbodydoctor.com. Please have a look at it. I'm looking at it right now, and it's sort of a fitting way to end. Um, and you can comment if you wish briefly. Uh, Albert Einstein said, only two things are infinite, the universe and, the hum and human stupidity. And then he goes on to say, I'm not so sure about the former. And uh, it's kind of a good thing to understand about our, our human condition, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, for sure. <laughs> In any case, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, perhaps we can continue this conversation. There's a lot of other things uh, that we can talk about around this issue, but I do want to thank you for this evening. It's been a joy having you with us, and we'll talk to you again soon again. Oh, thank you, Victor. Okay, now. Well, that would be about it, folks, for this evening. Um, on behalf of Richard here at The Conspiracy Show, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, it has been a pleasure uh, being in the big chair this evening. And I, w I do want to thank Richard uh, for that opportunity and wish him well in his upcoming uh, TV programs uh, on, on Vision TV. And we hope to join you soon again. Be sure to listen in to Richard Serrett next Sunday uh, at, uh, at the same time and the same station, as they say in the vernacular. Once again, you're listening to Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.